Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. But as we start this morning, let me ask you a question, maybe something you've thought about before, uh, maybe not. I just have weird trains of thoughts sometimes. But if you ever ask this question, hey, how come when I become a believer in Jesus, if the intent of salvation is to spend eternity with God in his kingdom, why doesn't he just teleport me straight to heaven? Like why when I find him, does he leave me here on earth? Wouldn't it be so much easier to just be like, found Jesus, relationship with him, heaven? Like, let's go, let's just do that. Uh, maybe you've thought around those lines before. I think there's a twofold answer to that question as to why we would say <clears throat> that God leaves us here on earth. And number one is I think we need to have a different perspective of what it means to be a citizen of his kingdom. That we don't need to think about the kingdom as being something that is only future. Like the kingdom is something that we experience when we're in heaven with God or when God comes back and makes his kingdom on the earth. We need to see and understand that heaven and the kingdom is, being take, is taking place now. That this is where God is introducing his kingdom into the world. It's happening incrementally over time and all over the world. But God is using his followers to bring his kingdom presence and to bring his kingdom power into the world. The second thing that I think we need to understand is that we are meant to be people who join Jesus on his mission. That he doesn't just take us out of here to go home and be with him because he has a mission that he's left us to fulfill. There's something that we're to accomplish while we're here on this earth. That we're to be Jesus's representatives as his disciples, that we take his good news and his gospel out to other people. And so God has left us here for these purposes. When we participate in God's kingdom, we are missionaries on the earth, that we are people who are engaged in the mission of Jesus. Now, if you're also someone who has thought, well, you know what, this whole Christian thing, I mean, like, I'm glad for it because I believe that because I found Jesus, because I have salvation in him, one day when I die, I'll be with him in heaven. And it beats the alternative of being separated from God forever in hell, right? Like, I'm thankful for salvation. But if I'm going to be honest with you, Sometimes the Christian life's just really boring. Like, what are we supposed to do between Sunday and Sunday? If you've ever been in that spot where you've gone, if the church, if Christianity is about these worship gatherings on Sundays, then what am I supposed to do in my Christian faith between Sunday and Sunday? Well, if you're asking that question, I think, again, we've got some misperceptions about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. When God called us into relationship with his son, he called us to change us. We're meant to be followers of Jesus who are constantly being changed by him. The more we follow him, the closer we get to him, the more we experience him and his grace and understand who he is, and the more dynamic our relationship with him becomes, the more he changes us to be like him. And then the more that he changes us, the more that he invites us to join the mission that he's left. Like Jesus left us with a specific mission to go into all the world and to make disciples of all the nations, right? And so that's what we're called in to be. So when we look at Acts chapter one, you're going to see a conversation that takes place between Jesus and his disciples as he's laying the groundwork after his death and resurrection for what he wants his followers to be about. And so here's what we find with Jesus. And it says, after his suffering, so he's already died 
He's been resurrected from the death. It says he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, right? So what did Jesus do? He spent time with them after his resurrection. He invited them to touch him. He invited them to eat with him, right? Like there's many convincing proofs. This isn't something that you're seeing a vision. This isn't a ghost. Like I'm real, I'm back, I'm physical in form. I'm gonna eat with you. You can touch me. We're gonna spend time together. All of these different things. He gave many proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them for over a period of 40 days, and he spoke about the kingdom of God, right? Like, that's powerful in and of itself. If somebody raises from the dead and then has one primary message that they want to share with you, you listen in, like, you focus in. And it goes, Jesus' primary concern after his resurrection was, let me talk to you about the kingdom of God, because I want you to get this. It's going to be the all-encompassing thing I'm calling you to do with your life. So Jesus talks to him about the kingdom of God. Verse 4 says, on one occasion... While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, right? So for 40 days, Jesus spends time with his disciples talking about the kingdom of heaven, but they still don't fully understand what that means. Like they're very much interested in a different kingdom, right? Like the question from Jesus's disciples as he's spending time talking about the kingdom of heaven is, are you now at this time gonna restore the kingdom to... Israel, right? Like, are you going to get rid of Rome? Are you going to give us David's kingdom back? Are you going to implement the kingdom of Solomon again? Is Jerusalem going to be the, the center of our nation? Are we going to have our land back for us? Like, that's the mentality. And Jesus's answer is, you don't know the times or the dates. It's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So basically, Jesus says, listen, you guys are thinking about being rulers in a kingdom and I want you to be witnesses. You guys are thinking about Israel. And I want to send you to the nations. Like this is bigger in scope. This is much more large and grand than anything you've got in mind right now. And Jesus is going where your attention is so focused on a kingdom in Israel. I'm trying to bring the kingdom of God to earth. And I want to use you to accomplish that purpose. And so you're going to be my witnesses, not just in Jerusalem. That's going to be a part of it. But also in Judea, we're cool with that because they're Jewish and Judea is part of Israel and Jerusalem and all those kinds of things. And he goes, and then Samaria, and they're like, oh, I don't know about Samaria. Like, that's a weird place. And that's people we don't talk about or associate with. And they're kind of different from us. And so we stay away from Samaria. And he's like, no, no, Samaria too. And oh, by the way, the whole ends of the earth. Like, I have a bigger plan and so if you're taking notes this morning, here's what you might want to just write down or follow along on our app. God has zeal to see people all over the world join his kingdom and join his mission. And God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel is his church. His church is you. And his church is me. 
But more important than that, his church is us. Like sometimes I think we have this very individualized mentality, especially as Westerners, that's just kind of part of who we are, how we're raised, how we grow up, how we know the world. We're very individualistic. What does this mean for me? Like we read our Bibles this way. Well, what does that say to me? What does that mean to me, right? And what if I told you that that wasn't the intent of what God has for us? That he's really called us to be a body. He's called us to be united together. Yes, you are a part of the church, and yes, you are the church, but we collectively are the church, and we come together to accomplish the things that God has set out for us. He calls us into mission together. It's not just going, you be awesome and go do something on mission for me. He's going, let's do this. Let us be on mission together. God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel is his church. This isn't something that's set apart for like super Christians. Like going, well, here's who the missionaries are going to be because they know the Bible so well and pray all the time and love Jesus like nobody else, and they're the super Christians, so we're going to send them on a boat or a plane somewhere in the world, and we're going to let them go do their thing. Let me give you a secret. Super Christians do not exist. I know, sorry. If you thought they did, they don't. If you look at me and go, well, that's the pastor, the super Christian, false, right? Andy's the super Christian. It's not <laughs> Super Christians do not exist. Even when you look at the Bible, right? Like what does the New Testament talk about one of the greatest prophets of Israel, Elijah? Elijah prays to God and asks for it not to reign, to reveal the sin of the king and the queen of Israel at that time. And for three years, God shuts the heavens up and no rain falls on the earth. How does the New Testament writers describe Elijah? when it talks about that occurrence. That's pretty powerful, right? If you can pray and it doesn't rain for three years, you're a super Christian. And the New Testament writers go, Elijah, a man like us, prayed for it not to rain. And for three years, God shut the heavens. They didn't look at Elijah and go, he's awesome. They were like, Elijah prayed. But he's a man like us. And we have the same power and spirit. And Jesus alludes to this. He goes, I want you to go back to Jerusalem and wait for the spirit of God to come on you. Like that's the powerful thing. In fact, if you're taking notes this morning, see this. God's plan to reach the nations with the gospel is for disciples of Jesus to receive the blessings of God, the power of the Holy Spirit into our lives and be obedient by going and making disciples of all the earth. Right? Like he's going, go and receive the spirit. That's what he tells them. Go back to Jerusalem. Why does he tell them to go to Jerusalem and wait for the Spirit? I've said this up here before, but if you've missed it, if you haven't gotten it, I want you to hear it again. Maybe you're new. You just need to hear this for the first time. Jesus knew and understood. If he went, hey, guys, go back to Jerusalem and just get busy doing the work that I've called you to and discipled you to do. Go be disciples who make disciples. Have you guys met the disciples in God's Word? They are knuckleheads. Like they're a mess. They screw up all the time. Jesus goes, if I send you back to Jerusalem and just go get busy in your own power, what's going to happen? It's going to die. He goes, you go back to Jerusalem and you wait for the Spirit. And when the Spirit comes on you and falls on you, you're going to be filled with power. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. He goes, once you have that, 
then you go and make disciples of all the nations. Because you're not doing it in your power and your authority, you're doing it in mine. And I'm going to send you. And then you're going to be equipped to do that. And so as we think about this, for us, as we look at this, I want to go back and look at verse 8 in that passage that we were reading just a little while ago. And I want to read it with just a little bit of an emphasis on one word in two places so that we see this. In verse 8 it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus expects that his disciples will be working to fulfill his mission in the power of his Holy Spirit. That's what he expects. You will receive the Spirit if you're a follower of Jesus. His Spirit resides inside of you, and you will go and make disciples of all the nations. He expects that of us. He goes, I'm going to send you out. And this is not just something that I'm going, it's a good idea, it's a cool suggestion. If you happen to be up for it, he goes, no, no, no. If you're going to come into my kingdom, you're going to be about my mission. And my mission is to let people know that there's a God who loves them and a Savior who's given his life for them so they can have eternal life with him. All of us who follow Jesus have a role to play in reaching the world with the good news of salvation in Jesus and to fulfill our part in his mission. All of us do. It starts right here where we live. Right? Like We're going to talk about this in just a minute. It doesn't mean that every single person sitting here listening to my voice this morning is like, man, I'm such a lousy Christian. I've never gotten on an airplane and gone anywhere to tell people about Jesus. What a terrible Christian I have to be, right? Like It starts right here. God has planted you in this place to be a local missionary. And occasionally, he might ask you to go somewhere else in the world and serve him and be on mission with him in that place for a short period of time. Some of you, he might call out of this church to go somewhere else in the world and live and give your life for the sake of the gospel. But for all of us, we're all on mission right here. And the United States is such a unique place because God has really sent the nations to us. Say, as you go out into the world, make disciples of all the nations. Look around you. You know people from all over the place that you can share the gospel with. Well, as we think about three things this morning for us as we think about our role in this, what is God calling us to do? And in some sense, individualistically, what is God calling you to do? I want us to think together about what this looks like. Romans chapter 10, verses 12 through 15 say, For there's no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all, and he richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they haven't heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they're sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, right? So I want us to see three things that we can be doing and that we can be understanding as we're moving into this realm of what does God desire for me as someone who's making disciples in all the earth. And so here's the first thing that I want you to see. Be someone who learns, Right? So maybe you're going, man, I'm kind of new to this Christian faith thing. I, I don't really understand all this stuff. I hear this, and it kind of is exciting about an idea of going to the world with the nations and me being on mission with Jesus, but I don't quite know what that looks like. That's okay. Take time to learn. And go, man, what does God want for me? What does God want for my family? What does God want for our church? 
God, start revealing some things to me that help me understand more about what you're calling me to do in your word. Let me be a learner. And ask yourself the question, if I don't know these things now, a year from now, what should I know about being a follower of Jesus who's on mission with him? Five years from now, how should I be changing and be better equipped and understanding what God is calling me to, to be on mission with him? But be a learner. Be someone who's willing to say, I want to be discipled. I want somebody to pour into me and invest in me so that I have an understanding of what God's called me to do. And the best place really for a lot of that learning to start is not going overseas or going to the world. Some of that's just being on a local mission trip. And maybe that's things like serving here in our community. When we as a church do some things, all throughout this year, we're planning some things that will help us get outside of the walls of our church and out into the community to be the light of Jesus here in Kingsport and in the Tri-Cities. So when we offer those opportunities, go, I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I'm going to show up for that. And I'm just going to see what it is. And I'm going to learn. And I'm going to watch other people do what they've been trained to do. And I'm going to learn from them, right? Maybe it's going on a short-term mission trip somewhere close by. Uh, we have a partnership in Kentucky. In April, we'll be going to Kentucky again this year. Uh, a lot of you in our church have been on that trip before. It's a great opportunity. Just first time, get outside of the city of Kingsport, go somewhere else, minister and serve. The area that we go to is one of the most impoverished places in the country. And we want to go and love them and take the gospel of hope to them. And so maybe that's just a great place for you to go. It's a great family trip. I've taken my young kids before with me when we've done that trip. It's just like, let's just go and see it. Let's go and experience what that looks like. Some of you may even think about things like when we have FunFest this year, we're going to be taking opportunities to use FunFest as a way to reach out into our community. Our community comes together for all these fun and cool things, and we're going to use that as a platform to be out serving and be involved. Uh, and then you might find some resources as well, ways that you can learn in the back of this book that you've been given. If you've grabbed one this month, if you haven't, take one on your way out today. They're at the doors on your way out. But in this book called Our Global Mission, we've got resources in the back of the book that help you get involved with learning how do I reach unreached people groups? What are unreached people groups? What does this look like? How does it work? Who can I connect to? What ministries are out there that I could be a part of or figure out some things? So be someone who's willing to learn. And then be someone who sins. That's the second thing that you can do. Romans 10, 15 says, how can anyone preach unless they're sent? Some of you right now can't go on a mission trip. You can't leave here. You can't get out and, and go to the world, but you can help send someone. You can be involved in financially supporting ministry and missions. You can go, man, I, I can't go and be there, but I can send you. And so be someone who's willing to send others. Uh, for my family and I, my wife and I decided a long time ago, we can't be out in the world all the time. God has called us to the local church, and so my calling is to pastor in the local church and be in a community and be involved here. But we have friends that we've known in other churches where we've served that are on the mission field and that are serving on three different continents, and so we support and sponsor them. And we go, man, we can't be there with you all the time, but we want to be with you in a different way. We're going to send you. And so that's one of the ways that we get involved. We also have a compassion child that we sponsor. And we go, well, I mean, we can't be there where compassion operates, but we can support a child. And we can help them find a way out of poverty in the name of Jesus to have a life that looks different than maybe they've ever experienced before. And so we're going to send. We're going to send people who can be a part of that. And we're going to support that. Uh, for our church, we made some decisions a couple of years ago right after COVID hit. When the initial kind of uh, issue with COVID hit, what happened on the mission field? A lot of American missionaries who were serving overseas, what happened to them? They got sent home, right? 
It's like, we're kind of closing our country. You can't be here anymore. Go back home. Uh, when war breaks out, American missionaries oftentimes are sent back home. If there's political strife and unrest, a lot of times our American missionaries who are in different places are sent back home. There are a lot of countries where we can't even get Americans into because they're closed to the gospel. So we as a church decided a couple of years ago, we're going to start putting a lot of more of our resources towards sponsoring and supporting people who already live in those countries where we want to be a part of ministry. And so our efforts have gone away from sending Americans over there and supporting Americans there, although we still do that some, to finding people who we go, they are from there. They are native to that place. And they're about the work of God. They're on mission. They're making disciples. They're growing God's kingdom in his church. And we're going to support them. Because when disaster strikes, they don't get sent out. They stay. Right? And so that's become part of our effort in how we support missions in the world. We want to be senders. We want to be people who say, here's resources that we have. We can't be where you are, but we can support what you're doing where you are. And that's become important for us. Here's number three in the last one. Be someone who goes. Right? How can people hear about the salvation from sin that God offers if there's no one going and preaching the truth of God's love? So we need people who go to the nations. And some of you, like I said earlier, God may call out from this place and go, I'm going to ask you to go and be somewhere else in the world, and you're going to thrive there, and you're going to do ministry there, and you're going to do missions there. Uh, in just a little while, you're going to be introduced to one of our students uh, who's going on a short-term mission trip this week. She's leaving this week and going to Thailand. She just walked in. That's her. <laughs> Perfect timing, Allie. And so we're going to be praying for her and her trip in just a minute. But when we think about, man, what is God doing? Where might God be sending us? What he might he be calling us to do? I can tell you this from my life. What I've learned in my life is that when God's given me chances to go outside of my comfort zone, going to the world changes how I live when I come home. Uh, I can remember my first mission trip that I went on out of, st out of country. Uh, when I was a junior in high school, my youth group went to Reynosa, Mexico, just across the border uh, in a border town, a border community, and, and we went to Reynosa, and we were serving and working in this orphanage and children's home and cool place, really nice, all the kind of amenities, pretty modernized and Americanized and, and that kind of thing. And one day, though, our youth pastor went, hey, we're going to go out of the compound and we're going to go somewhere into Reynosa down the road and we're going to do some ministry. We're going to do like VBS type stuff. We're going to take Frisbees and soccer balls and color books and all that kind of stuff. And we're just going to go and we're going to meet some kids and we're just going to love them and play. We're like, that's awesome. That's great. So we load up on our bus and we head off, not knowing where we're going exactly, and the bus pulls in to the garbage dump. And we're like, this is different. Didn't expect to be doing VBS in the dump. Like, I've heard of VBS in the parks, but I don't know about the dump. Like, what is going on here? And as soon as we got off the bus, guess what happened? Kids started running up from all over the place. Not because they had come from outside of the dump, but because they and their families lived in the dump. They built little shanties and shacks out of whatever materials they could find among the trash, and that's where they lived, and they salvaged for food. And when we came in, I was just going, man, I felt like this has got to be the most hopeless place I've ever seen in my entire life. 17 years old, I've never been confronted with abject poverty before. Just like, God, how in the world can people even exist here? Like, what is this? Do you know what we found as we started playing soccer with those kids and throwing frisbees and giving them whistles to play with? 
we found joy. They were some of the most joy-filled people I've ever been around. They had nothing. But they had smiles on their faces, and they're playing, and they're engaging, and they're just having the greatest time. And I came home with a different perspective on reality. Going there changed how I lived here. I came home and I'm so thankful for all the stuff that I have, but life is about more than stuff. These things don't bring me joy. I saw people who lived in garbage who had joy. Would I have that if the stuff was taken away? And it changed how I lived. Another mission trip that I had a chance to go on about 10 years ago, we went to India. My, my pastor at that time and one of our elders, we went to India and we did a, a pastor's conference, and about 300 men showed up for this pastor's conference. And all through the week, we started realizing and finding out these guys had walked, some of them for hours, some of them for days, to get there. And one night, a couple of days into the conference, these guys are just being, we're pouring into them, and they're, they're men who have no training to be pastors. They're just guys who had become Christians, had started growing in their faith, and somebody went, you should pastor this church. Like, you, you should just do this. And they're like, okay, I guess. Like, I don't even know what I'm doing. And so they came here just to be poured into, to let some Americans teach them some things. I don't even know if we could or should, but that's what they wanted, and that's what we were trying to do, right? Is going, we just want to pour into you and invest in you so you can go home and have better leadership with your church and be able to lead your church in a biblical way. One night I couldn't sleep, I had jet lag, and I was like, it, the thought had never even crossed my mind. We're staying in this compound, we've got beds and a window air conditioner, even though it's 150 degrees, and we just, we're like comfortable, but the thought had never even entered my mind. Hey, what do those 300 guys do at night when we're sleeping? Where do they go? And I walked outside of the door of the room we were staying in, it's still inside of the compound area where we were safe and felt protected, but I started looking around in these big rooms all around the compound, just open, concrete floors, concrete brick walls, concrete pillars, full of guys just sleeping on the floor. It's like, well, there's the answer to the question. That's where they're sleeping. They're sleeping on concrete all night and then getting up and coming to an eight-hour conference listening to us teach the next day. One guy, 70, 80 years old, his pillow, he was just leaning up against a concrete pillar with his head against the pillar, using it as a pillow. And I got to tell you, I looked at those men and went, they're so hungry for Jesus that they would walk days to get here. No promise of who's going to feed them or how they're going to be taken care of. No promise of a nice warm bed to sleep in at night. But they're going to come to this conference and they're going to be poured into by three guys who just want to show Jesus to them. And it made me come home and go, how hungry am I? What's my desire for Jesus? What, what, what length am I willing to go to to experience God and his goodness? And I have to tell you, being on that place changed me when I came back to this place. And going, when we go, even for a short period of time, it changes how we come back and live here. It gave me a greater desire to spread the gospel with people and to know that there's people in our world who need hope from Jesus. And so when we think about this stuff, we ask ourselves that question, where are we supposed to be involved in all of this? And I want you to remember, accomplishing the Great Commission is an us thing, not a me thing. 
Yes, God calls individuals and families in some cases to go, but when he does, if somebody called someone from this church, guess what we would need to do? We would need to equip them and support them financially so they could go. We need to be able to encourage them and stand in the gap with them while they're there because they're a part of us, just not here with us. And so that's our calling. That's what God has asked us to do. And this morning, I've invited uh, Bethany Luffy to come and join me on stage. Last week, you heard from her husband, John. Uh, and I wanted Bethany to talk about her calling, because Bethany is someone who uh, went overseas, served on the mission field. Bethany, why don't you go ahead and come on up, grab a chair while you're on your way. I'll grab your microphone here. And uh, I just wanted you guys to hear from Bethany this morning about her experience of going and serving on the mission field. And specifically, if you're thinking about or considering is God calling you to something long-term or short-term? What does that calling look like? And so, Bethany, thanks so much for joining us this morning and taking some time to talk with us. Uh, tell us a little bit about when and where your call to missions kind of came. So I was saved at a very young age, age raised in a Christian home, and my parents, um, they read us a lot of stories about missionaries. We spent a lot of time with missionaries, and I guess at some point in my journey with God, I... Uh, came to a point of just feeling like, as a Christian, it wasn't a question of if I was called to missions, but where. And um, so that's just kind of always, yeah. I don't remember a time that I did not feel called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. awesome, fantastic. So, so once you kind of knew, okay, there is going to be a specific calling to actually go, God's telling me, I've always kind of felt called and felt like I want to go, what, what did you do to prepare for that? Like once it kind of got to that reality of, okay, it's time. Right. to be a part of the mission? So uh, at the time, I was in a church that offered a two-year ministry training program, and I decided to go ahead and be part of that. And they assigned each of us an individual mentor. So I had two years of teaching and training and also mentorship. Cool. And um, I was also uh, working part-time as a seamstress, which was came to be important later. And um, I forgot to mention this earlier, but I also, once I kind of had honed in on Macedonia as being where I was going, I also started, I found a curriculum and started studying the language yeah. as well. Cool. So Macedonia is the place that you ended yes. up being. How did you determine that was where yes. God wanted you to go? Because when we think about this, some people might go, well, man, I feel kind of called, but I don't even know where to go. It's a big world out there, right? So where do I go? How did you figure out where God was calling right. you? So part of the ministry training program was uh, that we were sent on a short-term trip at the end of each year to one of our sister churches in Eastern Europe, and I was sent to Macedonia. And very quickly on arriving there, I just I felt like I had come home, and uh, it was just obvious to me that God was mm. calling me to be there. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and then... Like, well, I, I felt that, but I also wanted to be sure that wasn't just my emotions. I wanted confirmation of, of where God was calling me. So I asked him to give that, and he gave that to me in the form, several different forms. One of them was that one of the pastors I had met while I was there uh, requested me to come and disciple a group of very young women who were also new Christians. So that was an open door for ministry. And then, um, of course, we, I needed a place to live. Uh, which is it's kind of hard to search for an apartment when you're not living in mm -hmm. the country, which seemed like a big obstacle to me. <laughs> um, but one of the pastors who I knew, it turned out that his neighbor right across the hall was getting ready to rent out their apartment and was willing to hold it for me until I moved there. So yeah. 
uh, then I was living right across from someone who I knew, and it felt a lot safer than sure. just randomly picking a place. Um, and then, so all of these things were falling into place, but I still felt like I needed that final word of confirmation. And I remember sitting there praying one day and just saying, God, would you just, just give me that final confirmation? I opened my Bible, and I looked down, and I see the end of Acts 16.9, which says, A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. <laughs> thought, doesn't well, it get doesn't much get more much clear than, than that. Than that. Yeah. <laughs> and then sort of the icing on the cake, um, the pastor, one of the pastors I knew, he had a, a three-year-old daughter who I'd met, and uh, he says to me one day, uh, Naomi has a video message for you. So <clears throat> I look at the message, and... It's Naomi, and she's saying, um, which is a, a declarative way of saying, you will come to Macedonia, and we will drink hot chocolate together. <laughs> <laughs> and three months later, I was living across the hall from her, and we were drinking hot cocoa together. Wow. So. That's awesome. Yes. Very cool. So when people think and go, okay, so missionary work, what does that even mean? What, what did you do? And how are you kind of financially supported for that? Because I think some people's opinion might be, well, if you're going to go be a missionary, does that just mean you stand on a corner and preach out loud and hope to get converts? Like, what does it mean to be a missionary? What did you do right. while you're serving? So this is a really long answer. So the first, <laughs> uh, while I was in Macedonia, I did largely discipleship. Uh, that group of women who I referred to earlier, they lived actually in a town about half an hour by train from where I lived. So I would go there once a week and meet with them. Um, and then I also had individual relationships within the church that I was a part of in the capital city. And um, so it, was, it, it just felt like living my life there and building relationship with people, discipling. And then I forgot to mention this earlier, but there's, a, um, there's actually one of the largest settlements of gypsies in the world is right outside of the capital city that I lived in. It's called Shutka, which means um, garbage heap because they essentially built this city on a garbage heap. Mm. So um, there was a church that had a soup kitchen there, and I would go there once a week and help out with feeding the kids and stuff. I also mm. got to be part of a distribution of um, Operation Christmas Child boxes at one point, so nice. that was interesting, yeah, very <laughs> seeing cool. that side of it. Yeah. Um, and then I transitioned to Serbia. My husband spoke last week, for those of you who heard that. I ended up leaving Macedonia, um, coming back here, getting married, and then I moved back with John to Serbia. Um, and there we were uh, working with the local church, doing a lot of discipleship, and the church was 80% ex-drug addicts, all first-generation Christians. Mm. So there was a huge need for discipleship. Yeah. Um, and we, we both wanted to be tent-making missionaries, like doing at least some work to support ourselves, but felt like that was going to have to be down the road. I just saw so many obstacles um, not being fluent in the language, you need to have a, a work visa to be able to work. Um, not to mention the unemployment rate was about 40%, and people would search mm -hmm. for years for jobs, so I thought, there's no way this is going to happen soon. Well, about a month after we moved there, a friend of mine calls me, and she says, I've been looking for a job, and while I was looking, I saw an opening for a seamstress, and I think you should go check into it. And I was like, there's no way. I, don't, I can't even call the person on the phone and tell them I'm interested because I'm not fluent in Serbian. She's like, I will call for you. So she calls and says, you need to call them back. The secretary speaks English, so I do. They tell me to come in for an interview. And I sit down to talk to the secretary, 
And she's like, where are you from? I said, well, I'm from Blacksburg, Virginia. She kind of, her mouth drops open. She goes, my godfather went to school at Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, Virginia. She goes, she just looked really confused. She's like, this is cosmic. <laughs> what is going on here? So um, long story short, I ended up getting the job. Um, and the employer ended up uh, not paying me for three months of work, which is a very common scenario over there. So I ended up uh, quitting. It was a very difficult time. Um, but then uh, it, it worked out that through a connection from that job, I got a call three months later, or a month or so later, saying, hey, I'm working with a fashion designer who's starting up, and I heard about you, and we would like you, you to come work with us. So I did. And they agreed to get my work visa, everything. And um, through that position, I stayed there for a year. I, I was able to build some really deep relationships with the non-Christian seamstresses who I was working with. Mm -hmm. And um, they were both searching spiritually. So I had just incredible open doors to share about God. They asked me for Bibles. And um, yeah, it was, it was just incredible to see how where I thought that maybe my calling as a missionary and my profession as a seamstress were at odds with each other. In the end, the one was actually the vehicle for allowing the yeah, other to yeah. take place. So let me get this straight. You had a job that allowed you to build relationships with non-Christian people yes. and try to share the gospel. Yes. Do you have to go to Serbia to do that? No. Nope. <laughs> you can do that right here. So, yes. yeah, awesome. Well, thanks so much. So last question, yeah. what would you tell somebody who maybe this morning is going, yeah, I kind of feel like God may be stirring something in my heart, might be calling me <laughs> to short-term or long-term missions. Right. What would you say to somebody to encourage them as a next step to take? Yes. So I would, I would definitely say um, be sure that you surround yourself with um, training opportunities, discipling opportunities. You want, to, you want to have a really firm foundation before you go out on the mission field because you will be put under a lot of pressure, yeah. and you will crumble if you're not prepared for that. Um, so intentionally seek that out. And then um, take the small steps that are in front of you now. Go on a short-term missions mm -hmm. trip that comes available. You don't have to wait for some massive thing to occur. It can be the small things. It'd be getting your yeah. passport, like you mentioned right. last week, the one little step at a time. And then that leads to a bigger picture of what God does yeah. down the road. Yeah. So good. Yeah. Thank you so much, Bethany. Can you guys give her a hand and just thank her today for sharing with us? Awesome. Thank you very much. And then as we kind of close our service up this morning, I'm going to ask Allie Faye to come and join me on stage. And uh, Allison, like I said earlier, is going on her first ever international mission trip. Uh, she is leaving this week. And is your grandmother still here? Yep, she's over there. She's going with her grandmother. You want to wave at us? Uh, and so uh, she's going to, uh, to Thailand. And uh, they are going to be serving, uh, doing a, a pastor's conference or missionaries conference there uh, so that missionaries who come from all over that region to this conference can be refreshed and encouraged 
uh, and edified and challenged, and Allie and others like her are going to be watching kids and playing with kids and doing some stuff with the, with the children so moms and dads can just go and be encouraged and refreshed. So, Allie, we're super excited for you. This is your first time going on a trip like that, right, and yes. being overseas? Yeah, so, uh, so Allie's been working, fundraising, getting her money. Everything is taken care of uh, for her trip and those kinds of things. But I told the first service this morning, if you have like five bucks in your pocket this morning or 10 or 20 or 100, she could use some probably spending money while she's on her trip. So go by and say hi to her today after church and just give her a handshake with a $5 bill in it, all right? <laughs> Love her that way. So, hey, I'm going to ask some of your family to come up. We're going to pray over Allie. I'm going to ask some of your family to come and join us and any friends that you might have if y'all want to come up and just uh, kind of gather around uh, her and, and pray. And, uh, and we just want to pray for their trip. So if you guys will, let's just pray together. Father, we just want to say thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for your call uh, on our lives to go into the world. God, we understand that's a big thing and it's scary and it's challenging, but uh, but we can do it in the power of your spirit. You've promised us that you give us your spirit to accomplish your purposes. And so I just want to pray over Allie. I want to pray over her grandmother. I just ask God that the, the trip will go successfully. Father, that they'll have uh, smooth travels. Lord, once they get there, that they'll adjust quickly into the culture. Father, I pray that you keep them from experiencing the illness or sickness that might keep them from enjoying the things that they're called there to do. And God, I just pray that... Um, that the people that they're there serving, the missionaries from all over that region, uh, would feel loved and encouraged. I pray, God, that they're able just to share the love and the grace of Jesus with, with kids and teenagers who are coming to that conference. And I pray, God, that people just find refreshment and renewal in you. And so, God, would you just bless them, show your power and your strength through Allie, through her grandmother, and let it be an opportunity to have their lives changed as a result. Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 1045 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.